listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message by Pastor Andy Squires. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Doing well? Listen, for those of you who don't know who I am, I am not Robin McMillan, senior pastor of this church. My name is Andy Squires, and I work for Robin McMillan, the senior pastor of this church. So um, happy to be here. Good to see you all. Yeah. Man, Casey and Julie Clark bring in the heat this morning. Come on. Good grief. Good grief. I'll never forget the first time I saw Casey and Julie play a set. It was at the Visualite a few years ago, and they just blew my mind. They're kind of these people that have been hidden for a lot of years, but the Lord's been working on them for a really long time, just depositing all kinds of good things into them and Man, I just love it when people let the Lord do his work in them and to have it uncovered at some point. Amen. Well, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning or take that back. I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. I'm going to kind of preach, but I'm going to weave a couple songs into my message. If you don't mind, Um, I think I think uh, there's a. A couple of songs worth singing this morning. So if you have your Bibles, the name of the name of my message is the scandalous gospel. And I'm going to I'm going to start in. First Corinthians, I know we've been traveling through Matthew, but I I failed to do that this week. But I think it's okay because I think the Holy Spirit has something for us this morning. This is in first Corinthians. For the message of the cross, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, starting in verse 18. To those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, and not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, 
who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let everybody say amen. Amen. Come on. All right. So I have titled my talk this morning, The Scandalous Gospel, because lately I have been scandalized by the gospel again. I have been offended by the cross again. And that is a good thing because sometimes being offended is better than being ambivalent. If you, if you pay attention to your offense, it might lead you to getting free from a heavy burden. Oftentimes, the thing that you are offended by will lead you into grace. The thing that you are offended by becomes the thing that you surrender to God. And relinquishing your offense opens the floodgates of grace into your life. So there's a story in Luke chapter 18. You've heard of it before. It's called the, the, it's the parable of the prodigal son. I like to call it the parable of the forgiving father. But in the story of the prodigal son, there are two brothers. One is a fool and he ends up wasting his inheritance on sin, but is fully received back by the forgiving father. The other brother, the elder brother, is mad and even worse, he's ambivalent at the compassionate nature of his father toward the brother. He's offended by the scandalous, compassionate mercy and love that the father shows his brother. In fact, there's a guy named Stephen Freeman. He says it like this. In Luke 15, the elder brother felt he had received nothing. But in that moment, he is told, all that I have is yours. That moment is so large and continuous that it is overlooked by the elder brother. On a cloudless sky, on a cloudless day, the sky ceases to amaze us. And I, I, would, I will tell you this. This has been my testimony for the last bit of my life. I have ceased being amazed by the gospel of the cross of Jesus Christ. I have stopped looking at the cross in wonder. I've become ambivalent to it. It's lost its power in my life because I've let unbelief chip away at my heart in a subtle way, degree by degree, to one day I woke up to confusion in my mind where there was once clarity. Anybody with me? Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right. Give me 30 seconds. I'm going to put my guitar on, all right? For the wounds that I've inflicted 
For the wounds that I've received I offer you my bitterness I offer you my grief For the trust that I've broken For the lies that I've told Forgive me God for giving My heart away for gold Like a merchant in the temple Selling people doves You turned over my tables With your foolishness, oh God Well, I am a sly-side wanderer A brood of vipers in your hands You're an Appalachian preacher Who I cannot withstand Well, I'm running for your altar I'm weeping on your floor Will I feel your love inside my heart? God, I want to feel it more And you said be wise and gentle Like the serpents and the dove Only heeding half of your own advice Is your foolishness, oh God The snow upon the mountain Melting down into the sea I will sit with you in silence And listen to you sing Then I will ask you all my questions I will waste all of your time You don't give the poet answers So the poet gives you rhyme What kind of madman are you Taking on the worst of odds Well, I'm chalking up my fortunes to Your foolishness, oh God Well, this is different. Different's good though, right? Change it up a little bit. So I have to tell you that I have grown disinterested in the gospel of God in my own life. I have been living under a cloudless sky. I did not know this was my condition because disinterest and ambivalence toward the Lord come in small degrees and very subtly. Over the past few years, I've been reading widely On the different theological journeys of those who have left behind certain elements of their initial faith. I've been blessed by thinkers who have pressed into different sides of the character of God. We need people who are digging deep, thinking different thoughts. But one thing I realized that happened to me is that I was losing my simple trust in God. I was losing my ability To simply and actively trust in the power of the cross. I began to elevate the wisdom of men over the wisdom of God. I began to elevate the wisdom of men over the foolishness of God. 
And what that created for me was confusion in my mind. And I lost the connected relationship that I used to feel with Jesus. You might say, or you could say, that I got too smart for God. Oswald Chambers says it like this. Simplicity is the secret of seeing things clearly. A saint ought to see clearly without any difficulty. But you cannot think yourself out of confusion. You have to obey yourself out. In intellectual matters, you can think things out. But in spiritual matters, you must only obey. You must only believe. One thing that will keep you from growing in your faith that will keep you out of actively walking in the life of the spirit is a desire to control how God presents himself to you. When Jesus showed up, he was an opportunity for people to meet with God in a way that they never expected, but they missed out Because their desire to control how he presented himself was greater than their desire to receive from the Lord. And sometimes we get to these points in our lives where we have so much energy given to trying to manage the thoughts in our minds. To try to figure out God. To try to figure out the mysteries of the universe. That it paralyzes us from actually enjoying our relationship with Jesus. There is a scandalous nature to God. He will offend you. He will offend your sensibilities. He will offend your understanding. He will sometimes do things in ways that make you feel uncomfortable. You being comfortable is not God's chief aim. If you want clarity in your mind about the things of God, you will not necessarily think your way there. Obedience is the way to clarity. Sometimes your obedience doesn't make any sense at all. Now, I want to I just want to say this. I highly regard reading books. I highly regard smart people. I highly regard people who are thinking long and hard about what the scriptures say and what the scriptures mean. But I'll tell you this. If the pathway to knowing and walking with Jesus and actively practicing your faith with the Lord hinged upon you being smart enough, most of the world would not be included in what God is doing in his kingdom. We don't want to belittle the intellect, but we don't want to elevate it higher than faith, higher than belief. Higher than trusting the Lord. Here's the thing. You can talk yourself and think yourself out of simply believing in the power of the cross. 
It's actually really easy to do because we live in a world that is permeated with ridicule and sarcasm and unbelief. And if you're not careful, you'll listen to that more than you'll listen to what Jesus said. And what Jesus said was, don't be afraid, just believe. Do not fear, only believe. Get ready, it's time to believe. I love what Julie said, uh, quoting Harry Potter. What is it? If you want more hope, just ask for it. That was fantastic. I was getting so blasted in worship today. I was like, I didn't know what to do. You have to be careful because you can get so blasted in worship that you won't be able to preach because the spirit of God will fall on you so hard that you can't control yourself any longer. I don't know. Maybe we might just need some of that in here sometimes. There might be some people in here that need to lose a little bit of their control. You know, we have control issues, y'all. We do. You ask yourself why God isn't moving in your life. It's because you are controlling him out of your life. You want God to move in your life. Give him permission to. Ask him to. You want him to do something fresh. Say, Lord, please do something fresh. And then don't get mad when he does. I was talking to a young songwriter this week. And we were having this conversation. We had these days on the schedule where we were going to Skype and we were going to write a batch of worship songs. And he called me this week and he said, Andy, I can't write worship songs. It's not in me. I said, that's a lie. You don't know you can't write worship songs because you've never done it. And I said, man, here's the thing. You're doing what all of us do. You You shy away from the thing that makes you uncomfortable and you go back to the thing that you're already good at. You go back to the thing that you already know. You go back to the thing that you already understand. And God's waiting over here in the place that you don't recognize, the place that you don't understand, the place that you haven't seen yet. But because it feels unfamiliar to you, you hesitate to go. It's actually really easy to talk yourself out of believing in the power of the cross because we live in a world that's permeated with unbelief. There is a fruit that grows from the tree of unbelief. It is the fruit of blindness. If you feast on the tree of unbelief long enough, you will not be able to see what the spirit is doing. I've recognized that in my own life. I've feasted on things that have caused me to reap of a harvest of unbelief in my heart. See, I'm telling you what's going on in me. Only you know what's going on in you. But I have this feeling that what's going on in me might be going on in you as well. So don't shout me out with all the amens that you got going on in your head. But I think that probably if you're walking through the same world that I'm walking through, there's some people out there trying to talk you out of believing in the simple gospel, in the simple power of the cross, in the thing that was sent to change the whole world. But look at what Jesus said in Mark chapter five. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. Don't fear. Only believe. Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. 
I mean, he could not be more clear than that. There's not really a theological wrestling match available there for you. There's not something that is in the text buried. There's not an underlying meaning that you're waiting for some guru to come along and show you the true meaning of. Jesus is saying, don't be afraid. Only believe. If you need more hope, ask me for some. I became like that elder brother. I could not enjoy the reality that all that my father had was mine because I was blinded by unbelief in the simplicity of God's goodness. Man, I am burning through this message. This is going way faster than I thought. (laughs) Part three. So I was speaking with a friend this week who called me and and uh, he was telling me about uh, he was just telling me about a struggle that he was having. And he's telling me the struggle and I'm thinking to myself while he's talking to me, I, I, oh, my gosh, that's that's my struggle. And, and, and it goes something like this. You get locked in your mind. You get trapped by your own thoughts. In such a way that you can't even explain your issue to somebody and you feel like you're on the brink of a panic attack or some kind of clinical depression and you feel so hopeless and, and, and so weak that it snowballs on you because you don't feel any chance that you're going to be able to work yourself out of that. So it just drives you deeper. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That feeling, that thing, that thing is real. And it's pervasive and it's on the attack and it's attacking people's minds. But when he was telling me this story, I remembered this thing. I had this flashback of another friend who who told me this testimony one time. And I asked him, I called him this week and asked him if I could share the story. This happened five years ago. I was standing in his kitchen and he told me the story. And when he was telling me the story, I actually felt the spirit of God walk into the room and attack me. Like I felt set free by the spirit of God standing in this man's kitchen when he told me this. So I'm going to tell you this story. And the thing is this, whatever is binding you up, whatever unbelief or fear or anxiety or depression is binding you up, this thing's, this, this anointing is going to get you too. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. My friend was telling me this story. He said, Andy, my wife was On her way to the the mental health ward, she was going to be admitted into the hospital. And and my wife is losing it. And so I'm losing it. And I've had this massive wrestling match with my faith. And I've been just getting wrecked by all of these super dark thoughts. And I'm, I'm I'm at the end of my rope, so to speak. He goes, I was standing in my kitchen and he goes, Jesus walked into my kitchen. And he goes, I heard these words start to come out of my mouth. You are the Christ. You are the Christ. You are the Lord. Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. 
And as he began confessing those words, all of the darkness, all of the pain, all of the confusion, all of the things that were trapping that man began to break free from him. And as he's sharing that with me, I'm realizing there's a power of salvation in our confession that Jesus is Lord. There is a power, an actual power, when the words come out of your mouth that Jesus is not only Lord, but that he is Lord of your life. Because some things will not make sense in your life. There are things that we will walk through. There are things that we'll discover. There are things that we will witness, good and bad, that we will have no answers for. Some days are just mundane. Some days nothing happens. And we still get to declare Jesus is Lord. The thing about that confession is it's three words long. It's not a magic spell. It's just the absolute truth. You could say no truer words for the rest of your life than Jesus is Lord. And that thing could lead you to so many good places. It's not a talisman. Please don't don't hear me say that. It's not a magic spell. It's something about releasing the reality that's in your heart out of your body that changes the reality of your life. It changes the atmosphere of your life. Got off my notes. Sorry. So in talking through that story again this week, it made me think about the actual power associated with the gospel story. There is a salvation that is associated with our confession. Our confession keeps us. Our confession keeps us. It, can, it, it will keep you through your work week. It will keep you through your commute. It will keep you through taking your kids to school. All of it. Whatever it is, whatever your life looks like, your confession will keep you. So I have this practice in my life, and from a practical sense, it doesn't make sense. But it has very real ramifications for my life. I confess daily with my life, Jesus with my mouth, Jesus, you are Lord. You are Lord of my life. You are the carrier of my burdens and fears. You are in charge of my life. I live my life as a subject of your kingdom, and I am subject to you. The quickest way to you getting free from the tyranny of your mind is to become a subject of the kingdom. If you want to be free from the lies of sin and death, subject yourself to the Lord. Subject yourself to the kingdom of God. Become a subject of the Lord himself. And that can start with your confession. Your actions need to follow. But that's a process, isn't it? Here's the thing. There is actual power released in my life because of that confession. It's powerful because it's truth. And the fact is, here's the fact I have a tendency to believe my own wisdom more than I believe God's 
Anybody else with me on that? You tend to give more power to the thing that you're thinking than the thing that God is thinking. I have a tendency to believe my wisdom more than God's wisdom, especially if I don't keep God's wisdom in front of me. So there's a practice. There's a diligence to being a follower of Jesus. It means you have to feast at the table of the Lord on a daily basis. You have to eat the bread of life. You have to drink the wine of the blood in your life. You have to read the scripture. You have to ingest the scripture. You know, I heard somebody talking this week and it was so powerful. I heard this preacher talking about how, um, how we belittle the promises of God in our life. And I realized that I had done that. I had belittled the things of the Lord in my life to the degree that I was no longer receiving the benefit of them. The Lord has spoken all these things over my life and somewhere along the line, I just got tired of contending for those things. So I just set them aside. But you know what? As hard as it is to contend for the promises of God in your life, it's way harder to just deal with the mess of the world. Like somewhere along the line, we get the idea that like, yeah, life with God is really difficult and it's so disappointing at times, but life out here, the way the world does it is so satisfying and easy. That's a lie. That will lead you to the end of yourself faster than anything. In fact, I would recommend trying it. Go for it. You want to feast on that? Do it. It will last you two weeks. And you'll want to come back and you will want to feast on the promises of God, the words of the Lord that he has spoken over your life. Oh my gosh, I'm almost done. Are y'all good? Everybody okay? All right. So the practice of confessing the lordship of Jesus in your life is extremely important. It will keep you from being tyrannized by all of the voices and influences that are working to destroy faith in your heart. The scandalous gospel is a gift to us. The scandal of the gospel is a gift to you. I don't care if you don't understand it. I don't care if it doesn't make any sense. It is a gift to us. And the reason is because it's an opportunity for us to surrender our lives to something and someone much, much greater than we. The message that God died on a cross to save the world from sin is a scandal. It's not a wondrous sign or an intellectually satisfying piece of wisdom readily understandable. It is the great foolishness of God that we give our lives to and boast about. Isn't that good? All right. You guys mind if I do one more song? All right.
Some of us sinners, some of us saints, some of us stuck between a rock and hard place, and some of us welcome, and some of us not. Some of us the scapegoat, some of us the mob, and all of us guilty. Now all of us free. A cup of joy poured out to our great relief. So when the abyss had us tied to the rails, oh, we laughed out loud because love never fails. Well, some say it's crazy. And some take offense, and some swear the law still demands recompense. Well, some shot the sheriff and the deputy too, and some heard the cock crow in the light of the moon. Now all are atoned for, the wicked made whole. In my scarlet letter, washed white as snow. So when the albatross cursed all the wind from our sails, we had no dams to give because love never fails. Some of us doubtful, and some of us weak. Well, some are uncertain, but still we believe. And some overcoming, and some testify. There's a righteousness in us that we can't deny. Now some hallelujah, and some blessed be. Some sing out in chains. And some sing out free. And either way, no lie of hell will prevail. 'Cause our victory is His love never fails. Yes, our victory is His love never fails. things. It's um, a few minutes before noon. We're ending a little bit early today, but we want to give the uh, children's ministry people to 1215. So parents, if you will hold off going by to pick your kids up until until then, that would really help our teachers because they get frustrated when they prepare and they can't actually do everything they want to do. And um, so that would be good. Also, I was going to share one little thing and then Andy, I wanted Andy to lead us through that um, proclamation that he has so we can just participate in that because the Bible says the heart believes unto righteousness. The mouth makes confession unto salvation. So it's so important. Andy, such a great message. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, over the summer, we're going to teach the book of, we're going to teach the book of Mark chapter by chapter. So 
some of us have already been reading and studying it. And I ran across something that so much goes with Andy's message today. I want it to be emphasized. Um, in Mark 2, they lowered the paralyzed man down through the ceiling of the house, which is an incredible... I mean, I would love to have been there just to have seen them tear the roof off that house and somehow get that man down in there. And then he's on this pallet or bed. They lower him down. And when Jesus looks at him, he doesn't say, be healed, get up and walk. What does he say to him? He says, your sins are forgiven. And, of course, that caused a big stir among the Pharisees because only God could forgive sins. Of course, Jesus, being God, was fully authorized to to do that. And then he said, which is it easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven, arise, take up your bed, and walk. And when I was reading this book by Tim Keller, he made such a tremendous point. He said that if the only thing Jesus had done was to heal the man, that would have been amazing. It would have been wonderful. He could have walked again. But in two weeks or two months or two years, he would most likely still have been an empty man who could now walk. An empty man who could now walk. And so the idea that I've come to see is so real is, what's what's your Savior? Is being able to walk again your Savior or... Is your Savior to be successful in business? That's the thing that's going to make your life or some kind of acclaim or notoriety or approval or appreciation or success. But the problem is there's only one Savior that doesn't leave you wondering what you're supposed to do next to make your life count. That really, that really is true. There's only one Savior that leads you to a Sabbath day. All these other Saviors, all these other things we want, if I just had that, my life would be great. No, it really wouldn't. might be a little better. might be a little better temporarily. You might look better than somebody else. But it's like this Apple Watch. I had to have it. Now I had it on for two hours today and forgot to turn it on. You know what, really, but, but that's what we have to understand. Jesus forgives our sins, and that's so significant that when we take him at his word, our life changes because Jesus is real. Man, years ago, we went all over the world, literally all over the world, passing out these Jesus loves you cards that touched whole nations. But that's the question I believe God's asking us today. What's your focus? What's your Savior? When Andy was talking about believing our promises, how about believing the Bible? You know, the word holy is amazing. It means separate, distinct, separate, wonderful, unimaginable. The Bible is actually called the Holy Scriptures, which are able, the Bible says, to save your soul, the Word of God. So I wanted Andy, let me ask you this. How, how many of you, let's be real honest, how many of you have had a functional, different Savior than Jesus in your life that has captured your attention? Because we need to repent. 
We need to repent and believe. So let's repent. If you have had something, someone, some it, some event, some accomplishment, some goal that you have counted on and it wasn't really Jesus, we need to stand up and ask the Lord just to forgive us. So come on, join with me. Be bold. Let's turn to the Lord with our whole hearts here. Okay. Sorry, I have to find my confession. Somewhere in my notes. Must have been so good. This is the part where we wait on the Lord. <laughs> um, well, I can I can wing this. I don't know where it is in my notes. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Line at a time. Yeah, yeah. Let me pray first, and then we'll. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does anybody um, does anybody feel what I was talking about today in terms of the confusion and and maybe elevating something higher than than the Lord? Okay, let me just pray a prayer of repentance over us, and then we'll we'll, we'll do that simple confession. So, Father, we subject ourselves to you today. We make ourselves subjects within your kingdom. And you are the king of that kingdom. Therefore, we subject ourselves to you, Lord. (laughs) Lord, what you say is what we do. What you think is what we think. How you believe is how we want to believe. So, Father, we're asking you. First of all, we're saying we are sorry for elevating our mind above your mind. We, we're sorry for elevating our thoughts above your thoughts, God. And we thank you for your grace and for the Holy Spirit that leads us into righteousness, Father. This confession or this repentance isn't even our work, Lord. It's your work. It's your spirit that is leading us to this good place. So, Father, we join in with you right now. We say we're sorry. And we repent and we ask you to transform our mind right now. Okay, so I'll just say a line and then this is simple and it's just going to feel kind of weird and silly, but let's just do it anyways. We'll start with this. I'll say Jesus is Lord and then you say, yeah, and then I'm going to say, did you find it? Okay, all right. All right. (laughs) Woo! Pastor found it. All right. Let's do this. Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. You are the carrier of my burdens. I give you my fears. You are in charge of my life. I live my life as a subject of your kingdom. I am subject to you. Amen. Amen. All right. Good job. You may be seated. 
Uh, John Mark's going to come and talk for just a moment, but before we do have ministry teams at the end of the meeting today, if you'd like prayer, if you will just um, come up over this side of the sanctuary, we'd be glad to pray for you, and it will really help. I'm not going to preach. I just had my Bible in my hand, so don't worry. We're getting out of here real soon. I just want to say something. How many of you guys feel like Andy Squires' music has done something significant in your life? It's done something really significant in my life. Okay, so I just want to say a couple of things real quick. I am, I'm not on staff here at the church. I'm on the board of directors, so I am in some sort of leadership, but I'm not on staff. My job is, I, I'm in the music industry, okay? And I just want to explain how hard it is to make a living in the music industry. First of all, I'm not complaining, because I'm doing okay. I am, but there's only a few ways to make money in the music industry right now. Streaming doesn't pay artists very well. Okay? Streaming does not pay artists. It does pay them something, and it, let me, I'm just gonna be real quick and explain this. Here's what streaming does is, people were stealing music for free, and the technology allowed people to just take the music for free. And it seems like it should be free, except it costs 50, 60, 70, 80,000 dollars to make. When everyone takes it for free, it gets harder to make that music that you like. It's just, the way it is, right? It costs money to make music. There's no way around it, right? Um, okay, so the reason streaming is good is that streaming has figured out a way to make music way more convenient. So basically what streaming has done is made pirating music easy, and then they help make a little bit of money. So streaming is a good thing, but streaming does not support the artist. Streaming rarely pays enough money for an artist to make their record. So don't stop streaming. I like streaming too. I like having millions of songs at my fingertips, okay? I love it. As a consumer, I love it. But here's how it works. So a stream basically becomes a way for an artist. It becomes a flyer for the artist's music. And an artist has to leave home, leave their family, and go out on the road and make a living that way. I'm not complaining because I enjoy doing that. But I kind of want Andy to stay here at the church and be with his family and be able to preach to you guys. No, and as you, I mean, the truth is, as you get older, like, you want to leave home less and less, and, you know, there are all kinds of things, you know, there's licensing opportunities, there's all this type of stuff that I've been able to do because I've been doing this since 2006, okay? But I'm up here to say that Andy's music has changed my life, okay? And Andy doesn't want to leave his family and tour 100 days a year. And I don't want Andy to leave his family. And I don't, I don't want him to quit the church and go, not that he's going to. Here's what I'm saying is Andy's record only gets made if we support it. Right? For a number of reasons. One is that Andy's music is challenging to the status quo. And here's how you do make a living in music if you don't want to leave home is you tell people what they want to hear. And Andy doesn't just tell people what they want to hear. And so artists who challenge the status quo have a much more challenge. They have a much more challenging path in front of them. Okay. And so I'm up here really as a friend to ask our community to be sure to support his Kickstarter. Do we have a link on the screen? Okay. The church, we are not a church is not a record label. We don't want to be a record label. We don't want to own his intellectual property. We want to do church stuff. And most of the people on staff took a pay cut to start this church. 
Almost everyone who's on staff makes a little bit less or at least started on less than what they were making beforehand. Why? Because they believe in this church. And so we want to do something, one, to bless Andy. But let me tell you this, it's actually a lot more selfish than that. I really don't want to do this to bless Andy. I want to do this because this music changes my life. I remember when he sent me cherry blossoms, I was sitting in the carpool lane uh, and I put it on, you know, he wanted some notes and I'm this bearded guy with all these moms and I'm just weeping in the carpool lane. Like, this is so embarrassing, but almost nobody's music touches me. Right. And it's very hard for me personally. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, you can't, there's no good music and bad music. Like it's all subjective. If you don't think so, I can, I can explain it to you. It's all subjective. It's all about your context, right? So I'm not saying music is good or bad and that there's only bad music or that Christian musicians are only making bad music. I'm not going to say that because it's all subjective. But there's very little in the face space that touches me. And Andy, not because he's my friend, straight up not because he's my friend, not because I know him, but his music actually does something for me that no one else's music does. And so I want to support it. He's only asking for $35,000. Most records cost between forty dollars and $70,000. So I want him to get not just his thirty-five, but I want him to get like an extra five, ten, or fifteen. Because he's going to need it. It's a lot of work and it's very expensive. I could explain it to you, but that'd be boring. So please do. Think about going to search... <laughs> Consider searching. Okay, he has an old Kickstarter, so you got to make sure you find the active one because last time I searched, I just found your old one. But he has a recent Kickstarter, and it's not you're not just giving money for free. You get stuff for it. Okay, it's not just begging, right? You actually do get stuff, and he has really good things that you can get for giving your money. And so please, please do that. You know, um, I'll say this, and this is my final thing. I genuinely believe... That Andy is changing the way people sing about God. Not that we've sang about God the wrong way, but there are new things, or not even new things, some old things we let go of. I could explain this whole sociological experiment that is Christian music. It's okay. It's okay. But it's narrow. And Andy has a broad expression, and it's one that I need in my faith journey. And I believe he is changing the way people are singing about God. And I want to be a part of that. I am going to give lots of money to that. And I would like for you to consider doing the same. If he's touched you, consider giving some money and being a part of something that I think is going to be super significant to the body of Christ. And amen. All right. We have ministry teams. You have to donate a thousand dollars to Andy's Kickstarter to be prayed for. No, you don't. Totally not selling indulgences here. No, no. But if you need ministry is free, might cost you vulnerability. But other than that, it's totally free. Ministry is free. We have ministry teams up here. Come get ministered to give to Andy Squires Kickstarter. All right. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.